Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. I am thrilled to be welcoming my next guest to the Luck on Sunday studio. He is a man who has had an extraordinary career as a journeyman jockey in the saddle and then as a trainer of significant repute, a trainer of some of the great sprinters of the 1970s, 80s and 90s. Subsequent to his retirement, he has devoted himself tirelessly and with huge energy uh, to the promotion of welfare in the sport, particularly through the Injured Jockeys Fund and particularly latterly for the house in Moulton, the rehabilitation centre that bears his name. He is, of course, none other than Jack Berry, MBE. Jack, lovely to see you. Good to be here, Nick. Thank you. I think it was the late, great Tom O'Ryan who wrote that there are some people who spend their life hard on the bridle, never challenging themselves, and there's other people who look for new challenges all along the way, and that you firmly fell into the second category, always looking for the next challenge, how you can make a difference. Is that... Is that the best assessment of you, do you think, you've read? Well, I think it's very kind of Tom to say that, wasn't it? But um, I do like to look for a new challenge. I always have to be doing something. And it, where did that stem from? Is that something that you were imbued with as a, as a, as a child growing up in, in Leeds? Well, when I, when, I, when I was a kid, there were eight of us in our family. And um, there was myself and my sister Betty. We always seemed to be the ones that did, did the going for, you know? So um, I, I was always a, a goer, you know? Were you and Betty quite close in age? Two years apart. Yeah. And were you kind of like a sort of fearless double act who'd always... Not, 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 re not really, but it, we were the, the others were a little bit leery, you know, that was it. I mean, when the mum says, um, go to the shop, I mean, these had their ears back and didn't want to go. So, but I was, and Betty, it was the one to do it. And that was just in you? You just wanted to yeah. please? I would say so, yeah. And so, tell me a little bit about your, your childhood, because you were... You were born before the war, weren't you? And, and, I was and, born in, in 1937. So you can just about remember wartime Leeds. I can, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I, was, I was born in Leeds and I hated the place. And there, there were eight kids in our, our family. And um, we used to have some ponies because we had a rented yard in the, in the field. So um, I used to ride these ponies. And when I was 11 year old, and we used to ride in Jim Carnes and the shows and everything, you see. And I met a chap called um, Bob Tate from Boston Spa. He had some ponies. And um, he asked me to ride some of these, which I did. But when it was a five-week holiday in the summer, I went to, to um, his place in Boston Spa. And um, at the end of it, I wouldn't come home because he, he had a small holding and he had plenty of pigs and hens and everything and these ponies. And it, the life was marvellous there. I loved it. So... Um, at the end of the five weeks, as I said, I wouldn't come home. And my mum and the posse from Leeds came to pick me up because we had various letters after... I'd been there for three or four weeks after the, the, the time. So um, anyway, they, they came to drag me home. But I knew they were coming, so I was aware of it. And I climbed on top of the pigsty roof. And I was look, looking down at these lot, and I kept there until they went. So um, then we made a, a bit of a... Uh, um, a compromise that if I went to school there at Boston Spa, I could stay. And um, that's what I did. I was 11 years old. What was it about the different atmosphere and about the horses? Well, that... it, was a, it was a country. It was a country. And this, this guy, it was um, a cattle um, drover. He, he used to take horses and ponies and uh, cattle to markets and everything because there were, there were um, those things going on at the time. And um, it was the outdoor life. It was marvellous, you know. And stuck in these, it was awful. 
So you really felt that you identified as a, as a country person rather than someone who wanted to be stuck in a town for the rest well, of your well life? Well, I did, yes. And this guy, the following year, he, he sold up. And that was great. And he bought a shop in, in Towton, the village um, where Charlie Hall trained. Yeah. So, I mean, that was music to my ears. I wasn't long before I got to know where the head lad lived. I knocked on his door and I said, would it be OK if, um, if I came and helped out in the yard? So, um, well, I did that. And... Um, and a couple of days later, he put put me on a on a horse that was, you know, the self com. It was good conveyance, so I rode it around the roads, and then within a week or so, I was cantering because I'd, I'd ridden quite a bit, you know. And um, I used to then I used to ride every every weekend there, and then I got so that I would ride first lot every morning before I went to school, and I used to bike the seven miles to school every day after first lot. We've been talking a lot already on on this program about trying to recruit young, young people into racing and, and to sort of educate in a way that, that racing can be a great life and horses can be a, a great way of, of, of enjoying your life as, as well as the necessity to put in the, the hard graft. Do you think in your case and, and back then in post-war Britain, essentially going and riding racehorses or, or being involved in, in a pursuit like that was actually more attractive to life in the city. And now it's perhaps not quite as attractive because um, life in, in the cities, in the suburbs, has actually, so the quality of living has got significantly better. Well, well, it is. I mean, I mean, we keep going on and on and on about that we need more stuff in racing. But having said that, when, when I was apprentice, it was hard to get a job in racing. I mean, the, the, the big yards, I mean, they're, they're probably like 30 or 40 horses. We were, in 1956, we were the leading trainers in jump racing. I think we had 32 horses in the yard. And um, that was the year at um, Dornock when the champion early. In fact, he used to, I, I led him up a lot after Dornock, yeah, in 56, Harris Sprague rode in. But um, it, it was hard, and there was nothing like the amount of racing. The volume of it today, I mean, it, it is... God, it's all going into it. I mean, and, and yards now have got 200-plus two, horses, some of them, you know. Is there any wonder we need stuff? When you went to the to the racing stable and started working there a lot, did you have genuine aspirations to be a jockey? Did you want I, to be a jockey? I wanted to be a jockey from as long as I can remember. I, want, I wanted to be a jockey, and later on, you won't believe this, but um, I got the inclination I would like to fight bulls in Spain. I would like to be a bullfighter. I would have ideally liked to have ridden jumpers in the winter and fought bulls in the summer. But, um, Is that no, where the red shirt started? No, 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 it didn't, no. No, that's what I would have done. I mean, I'm not a cruel person, I love my animals, but I would have liked that. Why? What was it that attracted you about that? Was it well, the danger? Well, I, I don't know, but um, when we're at Char Charlie Hall's, we were apprentices, when I was a prince then, there were two or three other kids there with us, and um, on a night time, sometimes we were going into the fold yard and we would, we would ride the cattle, you know, and we... And it was, it was always, I, li I liked the cattle, you know. And I, that's what gave me the inclination. So you were going to be a jump jockey in the winter, bull rider in the I would in, have done that, yeah. in the summer. Is, was, wasn't there something a bit more dangerous you could think of, Jack? Or were you just no, choosing no, the... no, I would settle for that. <laughs> you had a reputation in your time as a rider for riding just about any horse that somebody would offer you. And those were the days when not every horse was a really very safe conveyance. Um... Mm. But you've always struck me as a man with significant intelligence, so I'm trying to marry up those two things. Well, when I was at Charlie Holds, I mean, there was George Slack, he was a jockey, 
and later on um, Paddy Farrell took the job over and there were several other jockeys in, in the yard and it wasn't easy to get rides, you know, those days because as I said there was far less racing than there is today and um, I remember one day when, when um, I rode my first run at Weatherby on a horse called Sasta Gry and the very same day um, there was a spare ride going in the novice chase. Well, I mean, the train was in the doorway and there wasn't a jockey in sight, so it, it must have been a bit hairy. Anyway, I rode it, and that was my first ride in a chase. Well, I mean, it was, it was a horse that it, it, it had lots of figures to his name, you know, like Pulled and U and F and whatnot, so it wasn't a very good one. Anyway, I rode this yoke round Weatherby, and um, I, was, I was pushing and kicking it from... From, from the off, and it went to the first fence and it ballooned it, it, was, it jumped so high in the air, I am not kidding you, I, I could have seen the power station at Ferrybridge, it was 12, mile, 12 miles away, it was so high. Anyway, I kicked and chased this string around there, and anyway, it, it pulled up in, in the finish at the second last, but it was absolutely knackered, you know. Anyway, we were schooling some horses on the Saturday, and um, at Charlie Hall's, and the boss says to me, he says, um, you better ride that one, Jack. It was the first time over the fence for it. He says, you seem as though you're going out of your way to get killed. <laughs> so that, that's, I started. And when I, when I became a freelance jockey, I would ride most things. Were you ever frightened? Not really. I wouldn't have done it if I'd have been frightened. But um, it was some, some of them were a bit some good rides as well. Was your bottle intact when you finished? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. In fact, um, e even quite recently, and until this past couple of years, um, George Duffel and I used to go hunting Wednesdays and Saturdays, and, and we used to sit just behind the field master, and whatever came up, we took a straight line, we went <laughs> over it. Oh, my word. Mind boggles. You mentioned uh, Paddy Farrell, mm. and it was, it was Paddy Farrell's accident. Yeah. Uh, that essentially informed was to inform the rest of your life, really. The it rest was, of your life. It was, yes. It started being a jockey's fund. And, yeah. And well, Pat, Paddy Fowler was, was my best mate, and um, as I say, we worked in the same yard together. And um, in 1964, he, um, he got a fall at the chair fence on board a flight in the National, mm. and um, he, he broke his back. And we knew from that day that he was paralysed, he he, and he, 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 was, he was, wouldn't ride no more. And in fact, he wouldn't walk again. So, um, we jockeys got together and we had a meeting in Jimmy, Jimmy Fitzgerald's house in Flaxton Moor near Moulton. And uh, what we could do to earn Paddy a few quid, or Mary, his wife, a few pounds, because he had this wife and four kids. There were seven, five, three and five months old. And we thought um, if we could buy him a nice bungalow with, um, you know, with a few acres, of, three or four acres of land and a couple of boxes for the kids' ponies, that's what we would do. So we, um, we went to um, Suddle with a bucket to collect money for him. But we arranged we would do this at the meeting. Anyway, we went, we went to Suddle, but it wasn't very good, really, because I mean, we had to explain what we were collecting money for, you see. And um, we thought, this is no good. So if we, we'd go to a higher power meeting mm. and Weatherby, where Paddy Fowl was um, the leading jockey. He was a northern leading jockey for three or four years on the trot. And um, we went there, and we asked the stewards if we could announce it, that we would be going round at a given time in between races with a bucket to collect for Paddy Fowler. So, um, and we call it the Paddy Fowler Fund. Anyway, they announced it, and I promise you, when we went out there with the buckets, there was a queue after furlong, long people Amazing. wanting to put the money in, and there were buckets and everybody donating, giving us money and money and money. And it got so big that we, we couldn't control this, and, and trustees were formed. 
there was John Oxy and mm. um, Wing Commander Vaux and, and a few more trustees, and um, they took it over, and, and the Injured Jockeys Fund, um, it went on from there. But a few weeks before that, Tim Brugshaw had mm. got injured on a horse called um, Lucky Dora in a herd race at, at Aintree, and um, he needed some assistance, so they called it the Farrell Brugshaw Fund. And then other jockeys, after, after they got what they wanted, and you know, Paddy and Tim, and it was ongoing, they were getting injured, so we, we raised it to the injured jockey, to the National Hunt Jockeys Fund. And then flat jockeys started falling off, so we called it the Injured Jockeys Fund as <laughs> it is today. And it's had the most remarkable, remarkable impact. And an awful lot of things that now the sport, I'm not saying it takes for granted, but have become so familiar to the sport. You know, Oaksy House, Jack Berry House, the holidays that you started taking the, the injured jockeys on holiday. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about that, because that's made a huge difference to an awful well, lot of people's lives. And, well, yeah. and, and what gave you the idea? Well, my, my, my son, Sam, he got injured um, on a horse of ours, unfortunately, called Solaris at Sitchfield. And he was only 19, and a good little jockey he was too. But um, he got injured, and with his, with his money got from the injured jockeys fund and the few quid he had, he, he um, bought an apartment in um, Spain, it was like in sheltered accommodation because he was in a wheelchair, and um, and I went one Christmas when it was two foot deep in snow, and um, it was his job to even get there, and I went to visit him, and um, Sam was was there swimming around in this pool with the hoops on and everything like, in this warm pool, and I thought, well, how marvellous is that, you know, like that, and I was, and, you know, I'm always messing about doing, I always got a piece of paper and a pen, and I was thinking, right, well, there's Paddy Farrell, there's Jimmy Harris, and I went on, I got about 18 people that I thought would benefit from this holiday, do you see, if they went there, and um, I rang Hilary Kerr, she was the Northern Almoner at the time, and I said, crack it, we've got to take these here, Hilary, so um, and that's how it started, and um, I became a trustee of the Injured Jockeys Fund, mm -hmm. and um, that's how it started, the holidays going to Tenerife. And of course, because you've done so much for the Injured Jockeys Fund, and, and because you've become synonymous with it, uh, people almost forget how many hundreds and hundreds of winners you trained, and how many important winners you trained, Royal Ascot winners, and you, know, you were absolutely top of the tree uh, for, for such a long time. Uh, if, if, there's, if there's one part of that training career that you'd like to revisit, which would it be, do you think? I think when So Careful won the Air Gold Cup in, in 1988. I always wanted it to, to win the Air Gold Cup, really, because um, when I was at Charlie Hall's, Towers the Gosden, that was John Gosden's father, mm. he used to bring horses up, and um, the roads weren't motorways like they are nowadays, you know, so, and he used to drop them off at Charlie Hall's for um, two or three days. And our occasional flat horse, I used to get to ride out with, with um, the, these, these lads of Gosden's, and they were always on about this um, Air Gold Cup. We'd like to win the Air Gold Cup. And he had some good horses like Precious Heather and Tinted Abulum and all that that won this Air Gold Cup. And I always thought if I were, ever I was lucky enough to train horses, although I wasn't a flat man at heart, I would, um, I would love to put the Air Gold Cup and, and that year. And everything that got six furlongs, I used to aim it for the Air Gold Cup, and, and we had many, many attempts at it. And in 1988, as I said, so careful one, so that was the highlight. It's, it's amazing that you say you weren't a flat man by heart, but not only did your career become so inextricably linked with sprinters, but also with two-year-olds particularly, and it was a career that got better and better and better and better right to the end. I think it was 98, you had three Royal Ascot winners. Yeah, well, how that started was, I mean, we're... we're um, 
we we got this um din racing yard going at um Cochram in mm. Lancashire and um the, the the gallops, I mean, they were they were good, they were really good. We had 46 acres of solid peat moss, and I'm not kidding you, the ground was so good, it was a pleasure to fall off. It was brilliant. <laughs> but we had to work these jumpers so hard to get them fit because it was all flat, you know. Mm. And there was one, one Sunday bef before stables, I walked around the yard, and we had five in the front yard there that, that had leg problems. I thought, crack, this won't do. Beautiful ground like this, and I'm, I'm hurting these horse. It was nearly cruelty. So I says to Joe, um, I said, I'm going to get rid of this lot and we'll get some yearlings. She said, I'll bet you will. So anyway, I said I will. So I went to see um, Willie Stevenson uh -huh. and Ken Oliver at Doncaster Sales. And I asked them, I says, would you give me a bit of credit? Because I've got no money, but I would like to buy these yearlings. I told them they'd be predicament. And I said, will you give me some credit for them until I sold them? And I will, I will pay them as we get them sold along. So um, he says, yes, kick on, you do that. So I put an advert in the, in the Sporting Life, quarter shares in precocious two-year-olds for sale. And, um, and I got this, and I remember Bill Elsie, I mean, cracker, the poor old boy died last week. In mm. fact, we're planting him this, this week, next week. And um, he says, you must be struggling, Jack, if you're selling horses in quarter shares. I says, well, I am, I need to do it. Well, Imagine what that I did. now. And I got... I got 17 replies before the sales were even on. So I went and, and, I, and I bought some like 20 yearlings that were quite cheap, but they, they looked like fairly sharp, you know. And, um, and, and we went from there. And um, we had a set of stalls because I did have the occasional fat horse, but um, I bought another set of stalls off John Cornelia, who was just retiring. Um, he, he lived in Huntingdon. So I put that in the entrance of the gateway. So every time a horse walked through in or out of that yard, it had to go through those stalls in or out. Well, it was a three mile chase, but it was a, a yearling. So you were conditioning them all the time. Dead, dead right. So we didn't have the best horses, but they did have the best education. We really worked. I mean, every, every Thursday we used to put them in the stalls and we used to give them give them from 10 a rating, you know, and until they got an 8 or whatnot, we didn't run them. And um, they had lots and lots of education, just to bunch them up and everything like that. And um, we sold these horses, and, and the very fact that they're winning, and we bought a couple of horse walkers, which were unheard of those days, and um, we, we really got them tuned up and, and going. And the very fact that we got these sharp early toys, we were mopping all these moderate little races up, the sellers and the claimers and the little auction races for horses that were bought for 4,000 or less. And we were mopping all those up, you see, so we got onto better horses. Yeah, and you did get onto better horses. I mean, it, it, I think it fresh in a lot of people's memories will be Sellers Buck Flyer and Bolshoi and Mind Games and Paris House, Rosselli, and then just uh, some of the horses that used to just win loads and loads of races, like Palace Gate Jack. How many did he win? 30, 30 odd races? Yeah. Um, Palace Gate Touch won 34. Touch. Sorry, yeah, Palace Gate he Touch. He won 34. Yeah. Palace Gate Jack, he, he was the first um, horse to win a, a sales race in Ireland, a 100 yeah. grand race. And um, he, was, he, he, he was one of the cheap horses, mm. was um, pa Palace Gate Jack. Mm. And he was the, the last horse that Lester Piggott rode um, a winner on in Britain. Brilliant. I'm very proud of that as well. Uh, he's not your favourite horse, though, was he? No. Your favourite horse was? O.I. Oyston. Tell me why. I absolutely loved him. It cost 2400 at Doncaster, and he was, he, he, I don't know, but I just, him and I ate it off. I rode him, broke him, and I rode him as a yearling. I rode him right away until he was an old man. He died with us when I retired at 31 year old, 
and he was a fabulous horse. He won 26 races, and there was at one time, he won a, a seven furlong flat race at Chester, he won a two-mile hurdle at Carmel, and he won a mile race at Carlisle, all in a fortnight. Brilliant. Brilliant horse. I love him to bits. And if, um, if I could have built a house, I would a new house, I would have built the box so that he could look into the kitchen or whatever. I absolutely adore the horse. And of course you will, be, you will be celebrated for many generations for building a house, and the most important house you built was the house that Jack built, Jack Berry House in, in Moulton. When you, when you walk round it now, when you, when you go to, to Jack Berry House, um, does the enormity of what you achieved ever, ever strike you? Well, it, it started really with, with Oaksy House because um, when I was a trustee at the Indian Jockeys Fund, we had, we had a few kids in the bank, and I, I one day at a meeting I says, um, we've got this, this money in the bank there, and it's a bit of a surplus. I said, we want to be seen spending a little bit of it, you know? And, um, and I, I told them about this Oaksy House, and I envisaged that we'd buy probably five or six acres and, and um, we'd get some of the retired jockeys in, as, you know, as residents. And um, it, it, it went, went from there, but people weren't happy to come. I was thinking like somebody like Michael Scudamore and his, his missus, people like that would go in there and, it, and they, could, they could cut the lawns and they could see the couple of retired horses in the paddock mm. and everything like that. But that was a nucleus of the, in, in, of the um, houses and um, at, at Oxley House. Anyway, it took me three years to get it past the trustees that we needed it, but we did get that. But it was always in my mind that we would, um, we would get one in the north because um, I thought, I thought that, you know, that was the thing, and it was easier to get, get it down the south to start with. And um, that was it. But um, it cost quite a few quid, and I thought, if we could raise the money to get this. So we, we sold, sold nearly 2,500 bricks, a £50 a brick. That was the start of it. And there were people doing sponsored limbs, bungee jumps, doing all sorts of things. They were holding races and pointing the points, and we did marvellous things. And we had um, Montana collection, they had um, um, they sold clothes and whatnot, and um, Andrew Thornton and Nicola Wilson, they walked the catwalk and, and got money for it, and we, we did many, many, many things, and we, we just about raised the money to build it. 1964 was when essentially you started because of the injury to, to, to Paddy Farrell. In many respects, is your, is your approach to fundraising now informed by the generosity that you received immediately from that, i.e., would you have the same idea that people would give and be generous and be supportive of everybody in racing had they not been immediately so supportive when you were trying to raise money for Paddy in the early days? Well, how the fundraising started really really was the, the Grand National was in, in decline at one time, you know, and we, we had an open day at our house, at our yard, for the Grand National to raise some money. Then the following year after that, there, were, there was two babies died in, in a hospital in Manchester because there were lack of beds for this um, hospital. So we had um, a, another open day for that. And um, that, that gave me the, the thing of it really, you know, because I mean, we raised 64,000 to buy some new beds for these kids. And um, it went from there. And we had the open day to, to get the injured jockeys from onto Tenerife. And we, we did that for all the years we were training. We, we raised the money for it. And so that was really what, what pu yeah. pushed the fundraising to yeah. another level. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's just ongoing, you know. In, in fact, um, 
people are very, very, very generous, and especially the racing people. I mean, there's some really marvellous people. I mean, they can they can moan about each other when you go about they, he's having winners and we're not doing this, we're not doing that. But in all fairness, I mean, if anything happens, they they all sort of pee in the same pot and they pull the rope the same di same direction and help, you know. And do you think you'd be you'd have been able to apply yourself to it with quite the same vigour had it not been for the, those early days in Leeds, listening to your mother saying, "Yes, I'll go down and do this. Yes, I'll do this errand. Yes, I'll go and." Get the call well, or whatever. As I said, I was always the do. I wouldn't always wrote the book in twelve days in Tenerife. Um, when I you was wrote the book in some, twelve days. I did. Yeah, it took me a couple of years to, to brush it up. There, I mean, I did did write it. And the the thing was, um, when you I make went, it sound a lot easier than Colin McKenzie did when he was sitting in yeah. that seat about an hour and a half ago, right. Jack. I can tell you. Yeah, but when 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 I was there in in, in Tenerife and and. Um, we, we went to see if our Sam could cope, to be fair. Joe and I went, and, you know, the bride and I, we went. And, um, and, and I said, after the third day, I said, I'm sure it'll be OK, you know, I'll, I'll get back anyway, because I hated it. Tenerife, it, was, it, it wasn't very nice, I didn't think, you know, all volcanic and, and things like this. So I wanted to get back to the horses anyway. Anyway, I went down to the, um, to the, to the little shop there to buy some groceries, what not, to, for anyway. In this in this place, there was some, there was some notepad. So I said, "I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll stay and I'll write a book." So um, that, that's what I did, and, and, then, and that's where I wrote. Um, it's tough at the bottom. Yeah. But and while I was twelve doing days, because you didn't really like Tenerife. Yeah, no, but I, I sat up nearly, nearly all night doing it, and it, it was really brilliant. And while I was doing it one day, and it was about eight o'clock in the morning, and there was this German swimming in the pool, you know. And Joe was in the deck chair upside. I was there writing away. Anyway, I heard this big splash. I saw this guy <laughs> in the water. I thought, um, cracky stuck. And he was flapping about like mad, you know. And I, and I thought he stuck. And I said to Joe because he just disappeared. I said. Um, Joe, I said, that man's in difficulty. Well, I mean, Joe, the, she dragged the way out of the book. She said, oh, he's all right. Anyway, I never saw him again, so I thought, well, I better go and dig him out. <laughs> I dived in there, and I got him out. And um, anyway, I pulled him out to the side, and this, this fellow, I mean, it, we saved him. And um, every time... So he was I, drowning? He was, yeah. And every time that I saw him, he kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. He was bending down and, and thanking me loads and loads and loads of times. So, I mean, that it was fun, was that? <laughs> Save it, saving the German or writing the book? <laughs> well, it was fun writing the book. It was, it was all right. It was, it was good for the uh, German who saved him, wasn't it? Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai.